When Michelle Fernay first started recording humpback whale calls, her technique was pretty basic. She'd gather a bunch of undergraduate interns, climb into a little Zodiac boat, motor out to where they thought the whales might be, and then throw underwater microphones over the side. Okay, hydrophones, it is 1413 on August the 5th. On August the 5th, I'm going to clap three times. And we were listening in real time so that we could write down every whale that we heard. And it was a very, very, very simple setup. They'd sit in a boat bobbing in the waves for hours, writing out the data they'd gathered longhand on paper. I hear this whale sound. It's coming from the north, they'd write. Or it was followed by this other whale sound. And then they'd write down a time code. And it was pretty tedious. We sat in that little boat for 90 hours and recorded data. And, and of those 90 hours, maybe 70 of it was actually usable. And this is some of that usable stuff. I hadn't expected a cross between a truck motor turning over and an eerie siren. All whales produce calls. And um, generally, they're short, and they occur in short little sequences, and they occur in exchanges. Sometimes when I'm out in the boat and I can listen and watch simultaneously, I feel quite confident that what I'm seeing is one whale that comes into an acoustic arena or comes into a foraging ground, announces its presence, another whale responds, the two whales join, they then make these lovely little little calls as they get closer together. Michelle became convinced that what she was listening to was a conversation. Fast forward 15 years, and now Michelle's ability to listen in on whales has leveled up, way up. Now I can sink four hydrophones to the bottom of the ocean, and I can come get them back a year later. I can time-align those files, and I can find those whales using software that helps me to visualize data over long time periods. I can look at a year of data all at once. Which has allowed her to see patterns she might not have otherwise noticed before and to ponder some remarkable things, like what are the whales actually saying? Kind of like two people who might meet each other. Hey, I'm over here. Hey, how's it going? It's a little bit like listening to outer space, um, sort of listening into the void and getting all these signals back with no context for them. And um, I got really interested in figuring out what that context was. In other words, Michelle didn't want to continue to passively listen to whales. She was keen to figure out what they might be trying to say. I'm Dina Tepelrest, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. We tell true stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. And today on the show... Look at how AI might allow us to not only talk to the animals, but help us stop just long enough to let them talk to us, too. Think of the amazing repartee. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals. And they could talk to me. 
Make a hole, Dr. Doolittle. AI is coming through. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. You're listening to Click Here. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. For Michelle Fournay, the thing about humpback whales that got her hooked was the idea that they might have their own language. There are certain natural laws of communication that most vertebrates follow, and humans follow them in, in birds and you know dogs, for example. And so because we have a shared evolutionary lineage, we have the ability, in, at least in, in some form, to listen to something and know, is it hurt or um, is it aggressive? And, and humpback whales, you can listen to them and you can understand something about how they're interacting with one another. Michelle was living in Alaska in her early 20s, and she picked up a job on a whale watching boat. Which is kind of funny because before that, she'd never seen a whale or ever been on a boat. One of the things that we would do when I was working on those boats that I loved and our our passengers would love, and I think the whales probably also appreciated, is we would turn the boats off and drop a hydrophone in the water and we'd sit out in, in the sort of the pristine Alaskan ocean in perfect quiet and we would listen to the whales. The ocean went from being the sound of motors and bouncing on waves to something otherworldly. A very vibrant and and living place. And so the ability to listen to the whales, and sometimes even just to sort of sit with my toes in the water and my eyes closed and listen to the whales, um, gave me so much insight into how these animals were interacting with each other. Um, Because you can hear them countercalling back and forth. And she came to find out there were all kinds of really intelligent humpback whale behaviors, like this thing called bubble net feeding. It's where you get large groups or sometimes small groups of humpback whales. They blow bubbles around a school of fish, and then they, one of them will begin to produce this call. And it sounds like... And they'll do this for anywhere from 10 to 45 seconds. And apparently, one of the humpback's favorite fish, the Pacific herring, hate that sound. So they swim away from it. So the whales use this sound to push the fish towards the surface of the water. And then when the fish come to the surface of the water, they get concentrated there because they get stuck. 
at which point the whale will stop calling and the group will all come to the surface of the water, open their mouths and devour the fish. It's like an acoustic net. Yes, yes. There are lots of amazing things about the humpback whale. For example, they live in oceans all around the world. They have one of the longest migrations of any mammal on the planet. Some whale pods will actually swim thousands of miles to breed in the tropics and then hightail it to colder places like Alaska, where the feeding is better. They grow up to 60 feet long. They can weigh 80,000 pounds. Think fully loaded tractor-trailer. And if all goes well, they have a life expectancy that comes close to matching ours, 80 to 90 years. To eavesdrop on whale conversations, you have to start by isolating their calls from all the other competing noises under the sea. This is known in AI circles as the cocktail party problem. If you have a bunch of people talking simultaneously, their, their, their voices are all overlapping. How do you tease out whose voice belongs to who? That's the cocktail party effect. Humans are really good at focusing on one person and then isolating their voice. And machines have to be trained to do that. If you think of sound as layering, that you need to unlayer it so you can say, okay, that voice belongs to this person. This is some party. Who are all these people anyhow? Who knows? The word gets out. And this voice belongs to that person. And if I can get all of these different voices separated out, now I can begin to look for some of those patterns that are going to help me to understand um, speech or language or communication. And one of the tools she and other acoustic biologists are using to do that is something called a spectrogram. So it's in a waveform. It's like uh, the spectrogram, it uses a mathematical technique called a Fourier transform, which kind of reprojects the data into two-dimensional space. This is Daniel Woodridge. He's a data scientist and researcher at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, better known as NOAA. For whatever reason, it's a lot more efficient, I would say, to make a spectrogram that contains like three minutes worth of acoustic data. An analyst can just look at it, tell exactly what's going on there, say, oh, there's that call at 56 seconds. Oh, there's that call at a minute 30. And so the, the rate that brains can process imagery just happens to be quite a bit faster. So if you're recording the ocean like Michelle does, it would sound something like this. You can use some algorithms on the spectrogram to strip out the ice noise. And seals barking. And boats rumbling. Until you isolate what it is you really want. Whales. Daniel helped create a program that essentially took care of the undersea cocktail party problem. He and his team digitized and organized and identified all those underwater sounds so a computer could pick them out automatically. The program is called Instinct. Like that original invocation of Instinct, I was sort of having to design detectors around what I expected to see. You know, I would go in and I would look at a signal and I, was, I would say, how can I come up with features 
and how can I come up with, you know, different parameters. Parameters are algorithms that would tell the program that this is what a waveform of ice cracking looks like, and this is what a waveform of a seal barking looks like. It's got to be a frequency upsweep. It's kind of in this certain frequency range. And then, once the machine got the hang of it and incorporated all of Daniel's understanding into the program, he took a step back and let Instinct's large language model just take over. I've offloaded a lot of thinking and just said, you know, neural net, kind of do your do your thing. I'm going to make sure that the statistics look good on the back end, but you're in charge of creating the detector. And Instinct used machine learning or neural networks to keep refining, making lots of complex calculations that Daniel and a room full of graduate students would never be able to do as accurately or as quickly. AI allows you to explore just a scalpel-like precision, like a new signal, perhaps, maybe a man-made signal, maybe a, a new animal that is in these waters for the first time because of, you know, force like climate change. We really didn't have the capability to do that before. Which led researchers to think about what else AI might be able to do. If it could identify all these sounds, how hard would it be to teach AI to create them, too? When we come back, the quest for the perfect computer-generated humpback whale. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. So the humpback whales have a certain call. It's known as a whoop. Well, can you do a whoop? Oh, yeah. Uh Absolutely. Um, So a humpback whale whoop call sounds like... Wow. Yeah. That's... That's... That's that's what they sound like. Um, only they're all a little bit different. Do they have like a a different n- note or range? Like a is a bigger male have a deeper whoop, and a a young one maybe have more like a childlike whoop? That's a great question. We're not quite sure what it is that gives humpback whales a unique sense of voice, and we are just now in the process. Of, of really investigating that sense of voice and whether or not this particular call is unique to the individual. Acoustic ecologists like Michelle Fournay, the whale researcher we met at the beginning of the episode, typically study whale behavior with an experiment known as a playback. They use recordings of real whale calls and then play them into the ocean through an underwater speaker. The idea is to link the playback to some specific observable behavior and then tease out what the call means by a whale's reaction to it, which is a little fraud. How do you know you're not swearing at the whale? (laughs) How do we know we're not swearing at the whale? 
Yeah. Well, the idea is that we picked a call that was really, really common that occurs in contexts that don't appear to be agonistic. Um, there are probably the the sort of the ecological equivalent of a whale swear word, like a whale fu, probably exists. There is probably a sound that a whale is making that 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 means screw you. I don't think it's this one. Um, and and mostly we we picked this one because we've observed it in so many contexts that appears to be social. <laughs> This kind of speak-and-spell level of communication, though, only gets you so far. What Michelle and whale researchers like her really wanted was to come up with a meaningful whale sound themselves, to essentially create a synthetic whoop. Michelle is working with an AI group called the Earth Species Project, and they're trying to write an algorithm that would create a whoop that a whale would find convincing. One that makes the whale think they're actually talking to another whale. And the hope is that would be the first step toward creating enough words to piece together what a whale might be trying to communicate. But it's a lot harder than it sounds. Imagine how long it took us to to get Alexa or Siri to sound like a person instead of like a robot. And we're, we're like, we're almost there. You know, Alexa almost sounds like somebody who's hanging out in my living room playing music for me. Um, We got to that slightly less robotic but still not real Alexa by training AI on millions and millions of examples of human language in various voices. And we actually understand the rules that govern human communication, the syntax, the grammar. And because we're human, we know that even after all that training, Alexa is still a little off. Why did the whale cross the ocean? To get to the other tide. And that's one of the problems that Michelle and the Earth Species Project are solving for. So when we're trying to create a synthetic whoop call, we have to do it in such a way that it still feels biologically meaningful and relevant. Um, Otherwise, we're just making little whale robots. In other words, how do you avoid a mechanical whale sound if you aren't a whale and can't hear the difference? Can you explain to me how you make a whoop? Is it a whoop or a whoop? I would say whoop, but not a native English speaker, so that might not be the best. Leah Buffo is a French postdoctoral associate at Cornell University, and she's studying conservation acoustics. And she says acoustic biologists are trying a couple of different ways to make the perfect whoop. First, you start with physics. We know actually a few things about uh, how whales are making sounds. And so we can look into the physics and the acoustics side of it and basically recreate the sound. We can model it. So you could build a bottle that takes the whale itself into account, how its vocal cords work, how sound resonates in that big whale head of theirs. Uh, Another way of going about it, which uh, might be um, even more fun, would be to use machine learning or... Uh, Someone could build an AI model that would learn from all these whale recordings we have. And it would learn the statistics of the signal. And from that learning, it would be able to recreate a new signal. The problem is, though what might sound great to us or to the AI algorithm that created it, but it would be completely lacking if you were actually a whale. Which raises the broader question about all of this. We don't know what we don't know. 
What if some whoop is fired off into the deep and it sets off a cascade of unfortunate events? Maybe it would commit some cultural whale faux pas or shift the balance of the ocean environment. Because the world under the sea was doing just fine, thank you very much, before we came along. And now, all this could disturb it. Michelle says all this AI research is sweeping her backward through rooms she didn't even know existed when she was on those whale-watching boats in her 20s. But if all this works, the results could be profound. Imagine asking a whale about climate change and having it say, I'm dealing with the warm water for now. Why don't you guys focus on all the garbage and the fishing nets and the ships that keep hitting us? Imagine what it would mean for the way we view the world and our place in it. Back in the 1970s, early acoustic biologists recorded humpback whale songs. And it turned into a record album that went multi-platinum. I remember pulling a small plastic version of the record out of a National Geographic magazine that came in the mail, and then playing it at 33 RPMs on a record player. Judy Collins included those very humpback recordings in one of her songs. In hopes to find riches In hunting the And just hearing the humpback songs created this odd kinship. Suddenly, everyone had saved the whale's bumper stickers. The U.S. banned whale hunting in its waters a short time later. And all this happened because the humpback whale songs begged the question, how could you kill something that sings as beautifully as that? Our ship is well rigged and she's ready to sail. The crew, they are anxious to follow the whale. Michelle says if we could decode what whales or any other animal is saying, it might focus minds more on what we're doing to the planet now. If you could say something to a whale, what would you say? I, that's I would say I'm sorry for all of the things that, for all that we have put them through. For, for the mass removal of whales from the ocean, for the noise that we inundate them with, um, for, for our deep misunderstanding for so long of, of their culture and their intelligence and their social structure, um, for, for changing their ecology, for changing their ocean. I think you'd probably also say, I love you. Oh, without a doubt. Um, but I would say that with no expectation that the whale loves me back. <laughs> This is Click Here. Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. Pro-Russian hackers targeted Swiss websites last week with a wave of distributed denial-of-service attacks. A Russian hacktivist group called the No Name Group claimed responsibility for taking down some websites run by the Swiss government's executive branch. The group said it targeted the Swiss to protest Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's attendance at the World Economic Forum in Davos. According to the Swiss National Cybersecurity Center, the attacks temporarily disrupted access to several websites run by the Swiss government. The no-name gang tends to target financial institutions, government websites, 
and European transportation services with its DDoS attacks. And Swiss officials said they were anticipating cyber attacks leading up to Zelensky's visit. The Lockbit Gang, a Russian-linked ransomware for service operation, took aim at one of Taiwan's biggest semiconductor makers last week. The group posted a ransomware note on Fox Semicon's website, announcing that it had stolen five terabytes of Fox Semicon's customer data. The group threatened to post it on the dark web unless the company met their ransom demands. Fox Semicon didn't say how much Lockbit was asking for, but the company did say that the incident would not have much of an impact on its operations. And finally, according to a new report from Microsoft, hackers tied to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps have been targeting high-profile experts working on Middle Eastern affairs around the world. Microsoft's threat intelligence unit said in a blog post that a hacking group known as Mint Sandstorm, or Charming Kitten, has been working on bespoke phishing lures to try to get Middle Eastern experts to download malicious files. Microsoft said the group is using new hacking tools it has never seen before, and the most recent campaign appears to be tied to the conflict in Gaza. Microsoft said the hackers appear to be trying to get a wide variety of inside perspectives on the conflict. Click Here is a production of Recorded Future News. Dina Temple-Raston is our host and the managing editor of the show. Sean Powers and me, Jade Abdul-Malik, produce it. Karen Duffin and Lowell Kowski are our editors, and Lucas Riley is our staff writer. Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking, and Ben Livingston wrote the theme music and other original music you heard. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. Megan Goff is our staff illustrator. That's it for this week. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.